Tumbling Saber is proud to present the Luminous Beings Podcast. Deep dive conversations into the heart of Star Wars. Brought to you by the Tumbling Saber Patreon community. Become a powerful friend today and get access to tons of our exclusive and early access audio content at patreon.com slash tumblingsaber and become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Hey everybody, welcome back to yet another episode of Luminous Beings. I'm Kyle. I'm Nathan. And this week, on the docket, we are talking about shocking reveals in Star Wars. Do we always need them? Last week we talked about super weapons and does, does the en- do the enemies always need it? Is the, it? There's a lot of things that feel like they're permanent parts of the DNA of Star Wars. And the shocking reveal might be another one. I don't know, we're going to find out, but Nathan, how's it going? Oh, not too bad. Uh, you know, I got bought more comics this week, so I've got that going for me. <laughs> I started Queen's Peril. I'm I'm only a few, only a few chapters in, but uh, so far I'm I'm loving it. Awesome. I still I'm way behind now. Actually, you know what? Rick's gonna love this. I bought a paperback copy, paperback Rick, <laughs> of Alphabet <laughs> Squadron. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know that's and, and I've sort of set myself up for failure here because now I I am sort of a stickler for consistency in this dumb way where I bought Alphabet Squad I should have bought it hardcover I know but you know sometimes times get tough and I you know life gets in the way and so I settled for a paperback I'm fine with that but now I, I know as you're much fine as, with that you're fine with that now <laughs> well yeah I'm and I will Wait until you're looking at your shelf in a few months. <laughs> uh, gonna have to upgrade that. But I no- feel you, man. I've got every, every every novel and every young adult novel and a fair chunk of the uh, of the middle grade stuff and that kind of thing. Um, but everything available in hardcover, I have in hardcover. I've been successful since the new dawn. <laughs> Well, this is the only... I I have... Well, Dark Disciple was a gift in paperback. And this is the first paperback softcover I've bought of anything in the new canon. So, And and I, not, not that I've bought everything. But now I know that I'm not going to end up reading Shadowfall until next year. Right. When it comes out in paperback. Because I'm at least going to be stickler enough... To keep to, the trilogy together. <laughs> to keep this trilogy as a paperback. I, I know I'm going to do that. And it's stupid. But, uh, you yeah. know... That's that's the way my brain works. Yeah, the thing that kills me is that uh, I don't have all those sh- uh, Star Wars Insider short stories because I wasn't a subscriber. So it's like I feel like at some point I'm gonna have to go back and get all those back issues just to get the short stories. Oh boy! Because <laughs> remember, they're back back in like 2015. They started. Like there was like the aftermath tie-in and the a new dawn tie-in. There was a Tarkin tie-in. Two of those stories, I think they included in that um, Rise of the Empire paperback. That was a new dawn and Tarkin. Yeah. In the one. Actually, I have that paperback as well. I lied. I do have that paperback. <laughs> yeah. So like those, all those short stories, like the two that are in that one, 
that tie into the, those novels, they were first published in Star Wars Insider. And they're like aftermath tie-ins. And I don't know, even know if they're still doing them. I don't think they are. But for like for a couple of years, every new novel got a tie-in short story in Star Wars Insider. And I don't have any of those. So I'm going to have to go back and get them eventually. Good, jeez. <laughs> Good luck on that, Chase. I know. Well, I think you can. I think you can uh, order back issues from uh, Titan, who publishes the magazine. I think you can order them on their website, but obviously it's a it's a little expensive, especially here, of course, in Canada, to get them shipped here. But because I think that they might come from the UK. I think Titan is based in the UK. Hmm. Um, but, I don't uh, know, but anyway, I yeah, do it's... know that my comic book guy, he's got an eBay page and he does have a good number of Star Wars Insider back issues there. I'll send you I can send you the link oh, after really? if, if it's, you know, if that tickles your fancy and you want to check that out. But I, for some reason, like when I go to his shop and I'll, August 5th is the day I've got that circled in big, thick red marker. Can't wait to go <laughs> check that out. But yeah, I, I, his eBay page is full of Star Wars Insider magazines. I don't know why, because I don't notice it when I go to his shop. It is definitely interesting. Huh. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, uh, speaking of comics, uh, uh, <laughs> we'll get all the tangents out of the way. That you're <laughs> <go>. <laughs> but uh, according to my, my, my uh, comic shop, uh, apparently DC has set up some kind of Canadian distributor, um, I guess, to make it cheaper uh, than Lunar and you. Uh, what is it? UBC, US, 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 whatever, like <laughs> whatever yeah, the yeah, other one like is. That. But uh, yeah, so I'm behind on two weeks worth of DC Comics because they haven't shown up yet. <laughs> so I don't know how well this new Canadian distributor is working out, um, unfortunately. So all the Marvel stuff, all the, you know, IDW image all that's showing up fine man i don't know what dc is up it is is doing down there because it's it is not working (laughs) (laughs) i don't want to make fun of dc who knows but well i like dc a lot i haven't been reading their books for a while now for the most part and that's no it's no shade against any of the creatives the company the characters it's just i can't find the right i haven't found the right thing to grab me and I, when I when I do, yeah. I will jump back in. I love DC just as much as Marvel. Just I think one is doing a better job than the other overall. This whole distributor thing that they've gotten themselves into and now maybe trying to work their way out of. It's like what do you? Mm-hmm. And, and then when you look at what they're doing with Warner on the big screen, it's getting it's all getting better I think in that regard. But it's it could have been when I think about what we could have had with DC. Makes yeah. me makes me cry a little. Well, I mean, and I I'm kind of right there with you. I mean, I'm still picking up DC stuff, but like I was a DC kid. I was always a DC guy ever since you know animated series and stuff. And like, you know, I was aware of Spider Man and all that stuff. Of course, you know the '90s animated series and and <laughs> oh, of course, there's lots of love for that one. <laughs> but uh, the. Uh, yeah, I was always a DC kid, but like even now, and probably for the last few years, I've been buying probably like seventy percent Marvel, and it's like I did not see this coming. But uh, and, and part of that is just because Marvel's output is like 
they're putting out like something like 110 books oh, on average. They're just cranking it out. It's crazy. Like totally flooding the market. So half of it is just like, well, they're just putting out more. So there's more that I'm interested in. Um, and DC, I think DC hovers around 50 to 60 titles. Uh, but I think that was actually cut a little. But um, anyway, yeah. So there's that tangent. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Let's get them out of the way first. <laughs> we had one podcast last week where we went tangent free. One in a row is the is the high water mark for us. <laughs> That's the one listen, to beat. Listen, we should be proud of that. <laughs> it's something. It's it's not nothing. One is something. It's the beginnings. The beginnings of something. It's a habit to break, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's you know one one of the things, and I just came to realize this now. Like as a kid, my buying habits are the same then as they are today, like 30 years later as a comic book reader, hmm. that Marvel, I liked, I didn't really have a preference among the characters, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman versus you know, uh, Spider-Man or the X-Men. I But the X-Men and the Marvel side of things, I guess they just did a better job of fulfilling demand because mm. I always ended up sticking more consistently with Marvel and I, I've always kept trying DC Right, but it just never stuck, and it's like I, I never swore off the characters or the company or any writers. It just it never stuck, and it's the thirty years later. I'm still in the same exact place where I'm like I just can't latch on. Right. Anyway. Yeah. Well, see, that's the thing with me is is I when I was a kid, you know, I always grew up um, outside of the city, you know, in the small towns, nowhere near. Uh, the city so I didn't have a comic shop or anything so every now and then I would get a chance to pick up like a fan a, a random fantastic four issue at a at a magazine store or or whatever in the mall that kind of thing but uh, you know I wasn't a comic bar I mean I, really I, I probably started buying comics uh, sort of regularly like eight seven eight years ago um, so my sort of total exposure was the animated stuff and the movies. And to me, I, you know, I, I devoured Batman, the animated series, Batman Beyond, uh, Justice League, oh, those cartoons. So good. And I watched, I watched, you know, the, the 90s Spider-Man cartoon and, 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 and the X-Men stuff and whatever too. But it was just, I mean, the, the DC animated stuff was just so far above the Marvel so, stuff. It's the best. It, it's like diff it, for me, like the DC, like Batman animated series, Superman, Justice League. Those three cartoons are mm -hmm. that is sort of the gold standard for me. Yeah. In oh, still. I mean, I've got them. I've got them on on Blu-ray. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's <laughs> they're they're so good, and they they're still so good, and they hold up, which is crazy. I mean, the nineties. 90s cartoon still holding up is is wild but they do yeah I so, watch, so I watch for a me lot of the batman animated stuff and some like some episodes i'm like oh this was really corny but the, yeah. there's a lot of stuff that is just it's timeless they just i don't yeah. know if they were going for that then because they were definitely gravy training off the, the tim burton stuff oh yeah but holy cow like that animated series is just it's it, you can't look at it through the 2020 lens because like the animation is of a certain era and of a certain budget and it like the the, oh, com sure. the combat scenes don't 
look at all as as dynamic and fluid and quick as they are now. But that's not the point. No, and I think I think it works because of the the setting. Like they chose that Art Deco sort of not pinning down uh, sort of the the era, kind of a an art style. And I think makes it a little more timeless. Yeah, you know because you know the cars look old, but the technology is well, you know. <laughs> at the time the technology was advanced so it was kind of like this mix mix, uh, mix and match of uh, of eras and i think that lends itself to being a little more timeless than if they had sort of definitely set it in the 90s oh thank goodness uh, you know, for that <laughs> you know but and then you get into like mask of the phantasm and it's like oh my god so good it's yeah they really they I've had, I've struggled with DC animation in recent years because I keep holding it to the standard of that '90s, early 2000s stuff, which was yeah. Each and every week, every episode, it was like, oh my god, this was so good. Well, that Carl, that could be the uh, that could be your jumping your your book to get into DC is they've got that Batman: The Adventures Continue comic. I've I've thought about that, which is uh, it's digital first. And they collect uh, a few of the digital issues into the print issue, so I think I think number three is the next to come out. Mm-hmm. So, you your your shop might have those. I think he, yeah, I think he might. I'll find out. But uh, yeah, that 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 might be the the way in. I mean, it's cool because you know they're bringing Jason Todd in, you know, Red Hood and and stuff like characters that were never in the show are showing up in the comic in the Bruce Tim art style, and it's great stuff. The be- oh, I love that style. So simple, but yet so so effective. So good. Anyway, going back, uh, you're right. Just to jump back to uh, Star Wars for a second here, the Rise of the Empire paperback, which has uh, Tarkin and a New Dawn rolled into one. The, there are three short stories weaved into the into the book: Mercy Mission by Melissa Scott, Bottleneck by John Jackson Miller, and The Levers of Power by Jason Fry. Hmm. And I, you know, I, I wondered, has John Jackson Miller done anything canonical since the new canon started? Because like he, you know, many of the big hitters from the old EU have mm. have come back into the fold. But I, I didn't, I don't remember seeing John Jackson Miller's name. But here it is. Yeah, the new Don is is it? Well, and he had a story in um, a certain point of view. But again, that's a little in and out. Cool. Anyway, um, going back to last week's episode where we discussed super weapons in Star Wars, do the bad guys all need them? We got some feedback, and I think we're going to share it here on the pod. It's from Dave Hackerson, who is developing a bit of a habit for leaving the uh, the jaw-dropping type of comment. And this one, <laughs> this one goes in that pile. So I'm going to read that comment, and we can just go through it quickly before we get into our topic for this week. So Dave says, just as advertised, this was a tangent-free discussion. (laughs) Whoops. (laughs) Here we go. Uh, Sorry, Dave. Uh, Though I do enjoy your tangents. There there we go. I was pleased to hear you guys bring up the malevolence. That was one of the greatest super weapons we've seen in Star Wars, and the nature of that weapon fit the terrifying visage, visage and name of General Grievous. Personally, I believe it is more psychologically terrifying to have a weapon that does not destroy but rather completely cripples your ability to fight. It's devastating, for it leaves you without any recourse to resist and potentially change your fate. 
There were three other super weapons, super weapon systems I would like to add to the mix, and two of them come from Rebels. The Gravity Well and the Anti-Mandalorian Armor System. Just like the Malevolence, both of these systems are designed to cripple, and in the case of the latter, literally bake the wearer of the armor. The third is the hyperspace tracking we see at play in The Last Jedi. Granted, it's not a weapon, but it's terrifying nonetheless, for it deprives the pursued the means of escaping their pursuer. The use of this weapon in the film really added an extra sense of urgency to the plight of the fleeing remnants of the Resistance. I'm in agreement with you both. The bad guys need some type of technological terror, but the Death Star and Devastator tropes need to be put to rest. On a non-Star Wars related note, I appreciated Nathan's mentioning of the US military's use of the atomic bombs on Japan at the end of World War II. I would add to that the systematic firebombings of virtually every major urban area in Japan in 1945 after Iwo Jima fell. Uh, with the with especially devastating raid on Tokyo in March 1945 claiming more lives than the atomic bombings. The US was the good guys and growing up in the states we are taught the uh, the use of those weapons was to achieve a greater good, i.e. the end of the war. U.S. military brass and our propaganda machine were convinced such brutal force was necessary to bring Japan to its knees. The problem with that argument, though, is that Japan was pretty much on its knees after Saipan fell in 1944. The emperor was already working to try to bring the hardcore military leaders to heel and negotiate an end to the conflict. If the U.S. had been in better tune with the messaging he and Japanese leaders were sending out, admittedly, admittedly, Japanese prefer subtlety, which Americans generally struggle to pick up, they would have recognized Japan was ready to surrender. It blows me away that the nation of my birth and my adopted nation were able to reconcile so quickly after a war, and thanks to that I am able to live here today. But once I got to read all the documents from the era, and see the pictures and hear the survivor accounts, I felt a lot of guilt. A lot of guilt. That does not excuse Japan's own atrocities in China or its nearly 50 years of colonial rule over Korea, but the use of such horrific weapons on largely civilian populations is an issue that I believe is wrong to write off as a necessary evil for a greater good. That is the kind of reasoning we see perpetrated by the likes of Palpatine, Vader, and other Sith Lords. Sorry to end on that downer, but it is a credit to your thoughtful discussion that rem reminded me to revisit dark alleys of the past that we must never forget. Great job, as always, gentlemen. That from Dave. And Dave, we thank you once again for uh, the feedback and also the history lesson. It's, I, I, you know, I think one is, as North Americans, we tend to not get the full picture of. <laughs> if that's a fair comment to make. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of that. A lot of... Uh... <laughs> Looking at things, looking at history through a very narrow view, and looking at things as though they're foregone conclusions, like, you know, the bombs had to fall, when in reality, they certainly were not necessary, and um, there was a lot of loss of life and suffering that could have been avoided, but, you know, what are you going to do? That's, that's, uh, well, history is written by the victors, right? So we get their preferred version whether it's true or not that's right anyway dave again thank you so much for that man that was that's great it always adds to the discussion and you know he, dave did bring bring up the weapons from rebels and just just to talk about that mandalorian armor system the the beskar baker mm -hmm. what was that thing called 
<laughs> it's Beskar Baker now. <laughs> like that was a e- grizzly easy bake Beskar. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> well, for, I mean, for such a cruel weapon to come from Sabine, it's like whoa. Yeah. Wow, you're dark, girl. <laughs> yeah, you get a lot of you get a lot of um, Manhattan Project from that and you know the the regret that came after the development of the nuclear bomb and you know i am become death and that's all fascinating history too if you if you dig into it but uh but yeah i mean that's that's also i mean we see that with galen um you know it it, you these scientists who don't stop to think about what they're creating until it's it's created and then they take their you know their first step back to actually see what they've created and it's horrifying so i mean it's it's really cool to see that um real life um situation come into star wars Um, but i mean it was like i responded to dave's comment and i you know it's like it's just takes some creativity like not everything has to be a big canon (laughs) it's you know i mean uh, i mean star wars is i mean we call it space fantasy but I mean, part of Star Wars is science fiction, and I mean, you f- a- a- emphasis on the fiction <laughs> when it comes to what? Star Wars. <laughs> but uh, so, so you can, I mean, you could come up with almost anything, and um, you know, we keep getting guns. But um, well, yeah, I mean, to go go back to to, to the Last Jedi, and, and Dave mentioned um, you know, hyperspace tracking. That's mm-hmm. that is a cool thing. I mean, it's uh, granted, like Dave said, it's it's not a weapon, but it is terrifying, right? Because you can't get away. Yeah. You're not going to get away. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, things in real life, militaries create hugely destructive technologies, and they also create surveillance technologies, and they also create, um, you know, I mean, it, not everything is meant for maximum destruction when it comes to uh, military force. Sometimes it's about precision. Yeah, um, you you want to take what you want to take the thing that they've got. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't want to so, destroy it. Exactly. So, I mean, you know, it, it doesn't make sense for everything to be a big gun or a big bomb or, or what have you. So, you know, I mean, I'm, I even like that, um, you know the difference in philosophy we got in Rebels with uh, Thrawn developing the the ties, and thinking that was a better solution than the Death Star, because it was about precision and uh, and numbers, rather than one big target that your enemy can easily take down. Apparently, um, but you know Thrawn probably in, turned out to be right in that in that instance. But, you know, I mean, that's that's the way that the real world works is that you have a problem and different people are going to come up with different solutions for it. Some are better than others and some work better than others. But, you know, uh, you come up with it, different 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 approaches to things. That's a, a I'm not a big thing, a, a big fan of like the what if kind of stories. I, I'm fine with talking about them. I don't want to mm-hmm. see. I don't. I'm not a huge fan of seeing them in print, just because of the of, of the rhetoric that follows. Like, oh, this this oh, should have been the movie. It's just ammunition. 
But one thing I, I would almost like to see explored in a pretty thorough way is if Thrawn's TIE Defender project had won out or won mm-hmm. the Emperor's favor and gotten the funding and the all the resources required and Death Star gets shelved. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we've seen that they're hugely effective and we've seen what happened to the Death Star. So, you know, we can kind of draw our own conclusions, but... I mean, our rebels are probably real lucky that his project got shelved. Probably, yeah. I mean, the, yeah, they were they were heavily shielded. They had hyperdrives, lots of weapons. Mm-hmm. Like it would have been devastating. Yep. For the, for the rebel fleets, and it's 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 almost strange that they even put that in there as a, as a foil to begin with, because it's like, well, you really should have went with option B. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. <laughs> But I guess the Emperor really prioritized having that giant sphere of the, the Fear Sphere. Mm-hmm. Coming up with all kinds of names tonight. The Fear Sphere, the, the Beskar Baker, <laughs> the Easy Bake Oven. Oh, boy. But yeah, I guess when we sit back and look at it, as, as Dave kind of brought some other, uh, the gravity well and, and the, the, the slow the slow speed chase the, the, and light speed tracking, there is a variety of weapons in Star Wars that have already been deployed. I mean, not mm-hmm. all of them are kind of the, in the mass destruction weapons that we're kind of f- centering on, but Star Wars has has kind of given a, a wider variety than maybe we gave credit for. But we'll see what they yeah. do in the future. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, next, this week's discussion, <laughs> 25 <laughs> minutes in, is uh, shocking reveals in Star Wars. And... This is something, again, like off the top of the show, it feels like it's something that is baked into the DNA of, of Star Wars. So let's this week talk about, is that true? Uh, and go through some of the shocking moments in the saga. And uh, we'll, we'll go from there. We'll see what happens. But what uh, what is your initial take on shocking reveals as part of the DNA of Star Wars? Is it something you think needs to be there for it to be truly considered Star Wars? Well, I mean, the one that everybody thinks of is that James Earl Jones movie where, you know, the villain looks at the young guy and says, I killed Mufasa. (laughs) And (laughs) no, obviously Empire is the is the standout. Um, I, I don't think it is. I mean, that's the only real. It's the only real place it happens. I mean, we get the the Leia reveal in Jedi and it's it, it's it doesn't have the gravity at all because I think you know we we suspect that nobody suspected Vader was his father no. nobody but I mean there were suspicions that Leia was the other and whatever um I don't think that has quite the and I mean in the prequels I mean there's really none of it I mean yeah let I me mean, let's let's go through the list but I mean I, I tend to agree that uh, my take is that if you have a good one, let's let you know go for it. If it's something that's going to shock us and, and send the story down a vastly different path for the characters, let's mm-hmm. do it. But a lot of the stuff that's been done in the saga beyond "I am your father," it just doesn't work really. I mean, it's 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 so limp as a reveal that it's like really. So anyway, let's let's just go. Let's see if we can figure out. Just, you know, movie by movie, and then if there's any in, in Rebels and, and the Clone Wars, we can put those on the table too. But mm-hmm. Fa- Phantom Menace. The only one I can think of is 
I am Queen Amidala. Yeah, and I mean, we're... Uh, I mean, I will say, I think a lot of people do get fooled by that. I mean, I think I was... You know, I, I had seen it a few times before I really put together what, what was going on. Uh, which, you know, could be a, uh, a strike against the movie. Um, but I think it's, I think it's real clever. Um, and it's the whole, like, you know, Qui-Gon knowing all along and that, that kind of plays into it. And the, but it's not, uh, it's not jaw hitting the floor at all. No. And I think it, well, it, it can also depend on like for my kids, when they, when they first heard it, they both were like, what? Yeah. So it worked for them. And you know, for me, when I got, got to this movie, I knew everything about it. Yeah. So I was just waiting for it. I could see Everybody Natalie Portman did. standing <laughs> off to the side with no makeup on, and I could see that Amadell was there, and I could tell that's not Natalie Portman. I know. I knew. I was spoiled. Yeah. I saw it. But for my kids, who genuinely have trouble telling Natalie Portman and Kira Knightley apart with when the makeup is applied, they they were like, "Whoa, cool." Yeah. So well, that, that's the that's the point of the makeup, right? In, yeah. You know, in, in story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I t- but that that's I think that's the only one from Phantom Menace that even qualifies. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you do get the. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. That's probably really the the only one. And it doesn't really shake the foundation of the story. No, no, not at all. Uh, then Attack of the Clones. The only reveal is, I think there's two, and they kind of come from the same place. Where Dooku reveals that he he used to be Qui Gon's master. Yeah. And then. Well, I mean that that whole exchange. He, I mean, he gives up the ghost there. You know. Oh, he puts all the cards on the table. Yeah. But really, that oh, yeah. Gives up the ghost was not the right turn of phrase. But <laughs> you got what I was saying. Uh, he, yeah, well, he, he gives up the ghost of, you know, a couple years later. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, Dooku reveals himself as Qui-Gon's master, former master. And mm-hmm. that felt cheap to me. I mean, it's it's fine. There's, not, there's nothing wrong with it. But if the, if the intention was to save that as some sort of like, ooh. Yeah. It was like, uh, okay. Big deal. Like it, again, it doesn't really do much unless. Well, I mean, it's one of those things that's going to be a big deal to very specific people, a very specific small group of people. That where, where everybody must be connected to somebody somehow, in a galaxy yeah. of trillions of people. Well, well, I mean, I mean, I think that is a valid connection. I think it does. It is. Uh, it does make Dooku a lot more interesting. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean. By the time this movie came out, people, you know, half the people in the in the audience are probably like, Qui Gon, <laughs> who? <laughs> oh, Liam Neeson, right, right. But again, it's it's a thing that again doesn't really shake the story. It just yeah, it kind of makes you question Qui Gon a little bit. Going well, what part of Dooku is a part of Qui Gon? Do I trust him? It it does sort of muddy the waters and add nuance to the whole conversation of Jedi and Sith. But it doesn't yeah. fundamentally shake the story. Yeah, I mean, it it is interesting if you want to examine like the lineage between uh, Obi Wan and Dooku in that moment and whatever. I mean, that's all great for for you know um, examination 
after the fact, but in the in the moment of the movie, it's not a big deal. And honestly, I mean, it, it has huge ramifications for other stories later. I mean, mm-hmm. look at Master and Apprentice. Yeah. Just about to say that, yeah. But uh, you know, in that moment of the movie, it's kind of okay. It, it, it's a background detail. Exactly, and then uh, Revenge of the Sith, we, where we finally learn that for you know, for once and for all, that Palpatine is Sidious. Like, yeah, it, I think that's supposed to work. Shocker! Oh my God! <laughs> shock of all shocks. Um, I think that's intended. If you come into the story fresh, not knowing anything about Star Wars, I think that's supposed to be a bit of a secret, and then you see that it's the same person, and you go, "Whoa, man!" <laughs> yeah, but. Uh... Unless you've seen Clone Wars <laughs> in between. Right. <laughs> Which is, you know, it's pretty, uh, they don't really bother hiding that Yeah, that, it's that not detail. really. I mean, if you have ears and you listen to Ian McDermott's voice, you can go, Yeah, that sounds a lot like him. Like, it's, it's not, they don't really try to disguise it. No. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, through the prequels. Well, and you, all, you do also get the reveal that um, Padme was carrying twins. Up until they're born, we don't know that. Right? Yeah, we only know that because of the way Star Wars has unfolded over the last forty-two years. Right. But yeah, in the story, it's led you're led to believe that she's just got one child. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. So that, that's that's fair. And, and maybe you could consider Order sixty-six a reveal. Um, you know, sort of the unfolding of the plot. Like this was all set up in the last movie and we had no idea, you know? Yeah, I guess you could put that on the list, but I mean, again, even right through the prequels, they've, they attempted these reveals, but none of them even come close to, I am your father. And I don't, I don't, I don't want this to be a thing where like, I'm showing my age and my, my, my generation by saying nothing is as good as empire, (laughs) (laughs) but really nothing has come close. Right. No, definitely, definitely not. I mean, you know, I mean, it's it's so earth shaking. I'm your father, oh, and we'll, well, I mean, we'll, we'll we'll dive deeper into into that one. And I mean, it's it speaks to the strength of empire. I mean, this has been you know discussed to death, you know, long before before we ever touched it. But you know, it. it it's a, such a testament to Empire and Kirshner and and Kasdan and and Hamill, for that matter. Mm-hmm. It's just you know, I honestly, I mean, people kind of make fun of of Luke's reaction in that moment. <laughs> My kids do every time. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it is it is funny, but I mean, you could honestly, you could say that about you know, real life circumstances where if you're not going to take the context seriously, the way that people react to horrible things, you know, I mean, you could argue that, well, you look a little silly. <laughs> if you had no emotion at all, no empathy, yeah. you know, you could look at someone reacting to something horrible, horrible news and saying, well, you're, that's a little bit of an overreaction, <laughs> but given the context, you know, but but yeah, I mean, I honestly, I don't think, I think Luke's reaction in that moment obvious uh, actually adds weight to the reveal because I think, I think we sort of take on Luke's devastation in that moment. 
yeah. uh, because he, he's so emphatic. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. Well, there's more to say on that one. We'll come to that. So, uh, staying on the, just going through Star Wars, sort of like in a chron- chronological way. The next movie. Up, oh yeah, the, oh yeah. There's more. <laughs> there's a bunch more. Uh, Solo. I think the only reveal in that movie is is Enfys Nest being a female. Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, well, I mean, you do have the whole the whole Beckett reversal, the heel turn. Mm. Um, so there sort of is that, but that's, uh, I don't know if that's a huge shock either. Um, you know, I mean, he's meant to be a sleazy guy and he telegraphs his turn earlier in the movie. No, but so. I, yeah, I think that, yeah, you could put that on the, on the table. Yeah. The way they, they present it, the way he walks through that door when he calls his, when, um, Dryden calls his associate in and it's, yeah, they, they definitely want it to be a reveal. Yeah. And yeah. it was like, oh Yeah. <laughs> Saw that coming. <laughs> uh, Rogue One, I don't think had any. Oh, and and, and the mall. mall. Yeah, I mean, mall oh, is a reveal. Yeah, mall. That might be. <laughs> yes. Oh my god, how did I forget about mall? <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty that's a pretty big one. And you know, to a lesser degree, I would even say you know um, Han meeting Kira on the the deck of the ship of the yacht. I mean, that's kind of you know. Again, in the flow of the story, if you haven't seen the trailers and you don't know that she's in the rest of the movie, you know, I mean, it's it's kind of, oh, she's back. But again, I mean, very, very small potatoes. Yeah, Maul, I think, yeah, I can't believe I forgot Maul, but that's that's a pretty good one. Again, not that it fundamentally shifts the story at all because it happens at the very end. Yeah. But it does add a lot of, there's there's a lot of weight suddenly added to the whole storyline knowing that this guy someone who was who was at one point near the top of the food chain mm-hmm. right was behind this thing the whole time and that's that's kind of cool that's yeah that's i think that's a pretty effective one yeah and i mean it's sort of uh i mean there's sort of two different reactions i mean it is a huge reveal for anybody who hasn't followed the animated stuff yes um for people who have seen the animated stuff or at least know of it and know that Maul survived and sort of the basic story. It's it's much less of a surprise, less of a shock. I mean, it was still shocking because we never expected Maul to show up in live action again. But uh, it's definitely um, a bigger deal for people who didn't know. Yeah, and I think that was a secret that was pretty well protected in terms of spoilers that were out there. I, I think yeah, it was I out think there. It, it it was I think it didn't come out till the premiere. Yeah, that, so it was that's like brilliant. a week before. Yeah, brilliant. Um, I but and I think the the best or or the most effective part of that reveal is just that what does it mean for the future of these characters and these potential storylines? Because it's it's too late in the yeah. movie for it to in a standalone movie for it to go any anywhere else. So it ends and you go, oh my god, what's next? What could happen going forward? Yeah, whereas with the Vader reveal in Empire, it's um, it's you're really you're you're examining backwards. You're examining what you've seen more so than um, looking at where it's going to go. Yeah, obviously you're looking for you're looking forward to confirmation, or um, you know, finding out whether it's true or not, because obviously that was contested at the time. But um, 
with Maul, like you said, it's all about looking forward. But with Vader, I think it was mainly about looking back and reevaluating yeah. what you've been told in the two movies prior, or the movie prior and the one you're watching. <laughs> they ruined Star Wars, man. Oh, they really did, man. Um, really did. Rogue One, I can't think of any. The Tarkin reveal, maybe? When he turns around from the window? Yeah, and that's more for, like, visual effect more than anything. Just, like, yeah, look, I mean, look what we've done! Yeah, I mean, really, that's an out-of-movie, um, you know, an external uh, reveal than a sort of a, a, an in-plot reveal. Yeah, that's that's purely for us. Yeah. And so, I mean, a lot of stuff in Rogue One is, like, if you want to... Even even like the the hallway scene in Rogue One, the way that's framed up is purely for us. Yeah. Um, it's it, you know it's it's a bit of a shock or a bit of a reveal to see Vader in action in that way, but it's it's totally for us. I guess I guess the back to tank maybe you could consider a bit of a a bit of a reveal, bit of a shocker. Yeah, I mean, but just the fact that we're trying to figure out if this is a reveal or not just kind of <laughs> says a lot. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, for for people who are invested, I would say that Mustafar itself was was a big deal. Yeah, um, and Vader's castle, you know, I mean, the ramifications of Vader having a castle on Mustafar is, you know, for for people who are fans of Vader and Anakin and and that, you know, for us basically. Um, that definitely was a, a big deal. Again, that's probably not so much for people who are, you know, the more casual viewers, but yeah, they would care less. Yeah, they, they honestly wouldn't put it together until until later because, again, no title card on Mustafar, so <laughs> yeah, which I think was probably meant to enhance that that feeling for for the fans, you know, because if it said Mustafar, I think it would have. Well, that's one you thing know, that I, bothers me. In the movie, though, like again, being just being a stickler for consistency in in that way, and I'm only gonna buy paperbacks now of <laughs> of the uh, Alexander Freed books. It's it's more of a me thing, but Wobani and all these other places get title cards, but not Mustafar. And it's it's I get it, like it's for effect to say, look where you are, everybody. Yeah, but I always found that weird. Uh, all right, into a new hope. It's really ground zero for all of this, and they didn't need to do a reveal. So there re I don't think there really is one. No. I mean, maybe that's no moon. <laughs> yeah. You know, again, minor. I mean, these are all going to be minor, you know, probably until we get to uh, probably until we get to uh, Rise of Skywalker. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I would say it's a reveal. Uh, small as it may be, yeah. Um, Empire. Will, I mean, was... I mean, honestly, honestly, that star at the time, that star destroyer flying it over oh, at, well... the, at the beginning in itself is like, oh, <laughs> this is what this is. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, again, that's the visual that hooked me into Star Wars forever. Yeah, just right off, right off the hop. Uh, but really. You know, textually or or plot wise, nothing so dramatic that it it shifts what's what you think is going on in the movie. Uh, Empire, obviously, we're, we're going to talk more about that in a few minutes. 
Return of the Jedi is, I think, Luke and Leia siblings. And confirmation of Vader being the dad. Yeah. And maybe helmet coming off. Yeah. Everything, but everything associated to that plot point of, of Vader being the father and the Skywalker family. That's, it's really all wrapped up in, in that. There's nothing else where you go, oh, wow. Like, I didn't see no. that coming. Maybe in, a, in the special editions, maybe Anakin Force Ghost. Yeah. Maybe, to, again, to a lesser degree, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, TFA. Um, Han being, or Kylo being Han's kid, Han and Leia's kid. That, I think, was supposed to be a reveal. Yeah. But, uh... <laughs> Again, it, it's just... Well, like, on, uh, of course. On, honest, honestly, I mean, the first line of the crawl, Luke Skywalker is missing. I mean, that's sort of... Uh, for, if, you know, for those of us who weren't following spoilers, all we knew was the trio is back. So, sort of, right off the hop to say, guys, Luke's not here. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that was that's yeah. I think in retrospect that one works a bit better, and it, it, for me it's it's difficult because I was so again so spoiled on that movie. Yeah, I wasn't, and I can tell you, I expected. I mean, we we kind of get the hints because we didn't see any Luke uh, in the promo material, mm-hmm. and you know that that um, one. Well, it was a couple of photos of Luke in costume. Uh, leaked online beforehand um, but that was sort of all we saw of Luke in TFA and you know it was like okay he's not in any of the promo material he's not and like it was like they're not using him in the trailers at all <laughs> oh yeah he was, he was completely absent completely yeah. absent which was so really it was I mean kind of like, it was, he's probably not going to be in this movie a whole lot but it was still like okay, so he's just gone. Well, and it did what it, the, the, all the marketing for TFA did to Star Wars fans. What I don't know if they wanted it to do this, but this is what Star Wars fans do. So Luke's not in the marketing. Well, uh, he is. Kylo is Luke. That's Luke Skywalker. He's bad. He's got he's got the cross guard lightsaber. Right. What? We're do- <laughs> okay. Right. right. Uh, or they're you know they're they're just hiding all the Luke parts because they want us to be surprised when we see him. Or Luke is Snoke. Luke is. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the whole... There was a, a mess. lot of stuff. There was a lot of stuff that fans were, were working up to, or working themselves into, and in none of it true. Like, if, if, if anything, I think the sequel trilogy, in a lot of ways, was very honest. It, I mean, it, it's, it, with Finn, it's flat-out lied about Finn being the Jedi to, in order to sort of save Rey as the reveal. Of being the... I would I would say the first two movies are pretty honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were they were very honest about who's who. Again, aside yeah. from Finn, which I you know a lot of people are upset about that, and that you know I I have no problem with people who are upset about Finn being sort of presented as one thing and then we get another. Yeah, but I, it was a bit of a shell game to to uh, to hide Ray as the actual Jedi. Yeah, but I mean, when you consider you, uh, <laughs> when you consider how many of the characters turned out to be things that they weren't, or, or things that we didn't think they were, 
I mean, Ray being a Palpatine, uh, Finn being force sensitive. Uh, wait, I will say, I mean, that was that was telegraphed in the marketing, um, but it wasn't paid off on at all. Nope. Um, apart from hints that he's force sensitive in Rise of Skywalker, but I mean, goddamn, give the boy a lightsaber. <laughs> And, you know, um, Poe, even Poe, Poe isn't who we thought he was. Poe isn't who we were told he was for five years. <laughs> you know, Leia was a Jedi after all. But, you know, that, that we didn't find that out until the end. I mean, a lot of these characters turned out to be... Things that we didn't think they were, and a lot of us didn't want them to be. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's besides the point for this discussion. Let's not let's not do it. Go far too far down that that <laughs> so, hole. So Kylo being <laughs> the child of Han, and we'll, Leia, we'll get the rise of Skywalker. Oh yeah, that's coming. Um, it, it sort of this is it's not really a reveal, but seeds planted regarding Ray's lineage. That movie begged us to ask who she is really in a big way asked us to ask who she is. Um, and then also like the, the who is Snoke thing, although that the, I don't think the movie did that at all. This is it's 100% fan enthusiasm, fan mm-hmm. fanat- like fanaticism. That's it. That just, he's got to be somebody like, he's just not a guy. Yeah. He's, he's Plagueis. He's this, he's that he's Jar Jar, you know, the movie itself never, or Lucasfilm oh, for that matter. We never did. did no, we didn't know how well, how good we had it. <laughs> <laughs> Back when "Who is Snoke?" was the biggest argument <laughs> we were having. <laughs> oh man! Um, and then the last Jedi. I don't. I don't know that there's any real true reveals in this movie. Or is sort of the Rashomon sequence sort of the proxy for shock reveal? Just Luke did that. Yeah, kind of to a degree. Uh, I would say that it's not really a reveal, but um, yeah, no, it's not. I guess, I guess, yeah, and I guess Snoke dying maybe, to, but it's not really a reveal. It's that's a uh, plot twist. It's just an event in the movie. Yeah, so it's not. It's a twist, yeah, but it's not a reveal. No. Um, I guess, I guess Holdo, because I mean, you're kind of you're kind of led to question her motives and her allegiance. Um, and then, you know, you find out that, yeah, she's good and she had a plan and she's great. And everybody loves Laura Dern. I think you're, I think you're just a bad person. If you don't like Laura Dern. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. There's just no time for you. You're a fascist. <laughs> you're. <laughs> oh, all right. Just, yeah. Just, if you don't like Laura Dern, do not talk to me. <laughs> she she's wonderful. Have you heard her in F is for Family? No, I haven't seen any of that. Oh. I haven't. Oh, she's she's cut loose in that show. F bombs, screaming and yelling. <laughs> oh, I, I'd expect nothing less from Burr. <laughs> oh, it's it's the only place you can go here. Uh, Mayfeld and Holdo argue with each other. That's, oh my god! <laughs> it's it's fantastic. Uh, then into Rise of Skywalker, 
Oh, man. So Palpatine lives. I think that's supposed to be a shock right off the top. The dead speak. The dead speak. Oh, yeah, but Kyle, that reveal happened in Fortnite, remember? Yes. Jesus. <laughs> what a weird thing. I get the... <laughs> I, you know, I get the the world oh. we live in now, where it's it's cross promotion, it's using other popular things to sort of drive interest in your thing. That to me was just weird. Not a major plot point in the movie. Like most people, like so many people, didn't understand what was going on because it happened in a major plot point happened in Fortnite. Like, I what idiots. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know why they thought that was a good idea. Was it to soften Man, the blow they, because they knew that it was going to be less, sort of like a eye roll moment anyway? That okay, let's just let's just soften it here so that people go into the theater. Expecting you know what? It. That sounds right for Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> Trying to minimize eye rolls by maximizing eye rolls. Yeah, they won't the, realize how dumb this is if we make it as stupid as possible. <laughs> God, <laughs> I've I listen, listen. I've come to terms with a lot of Rise of Skywalker. Okay, I've I've, but that Fortnite bullshit makes me so angry still. Yeah, that was clumsy. Day. I thought oh, that was a, a swing and miss. I get I get what they were going for. I think, but not the time for it. Uh, and then of course, Ray Palpatine was was the other reveal that. It, it, well, the Snoke reveal, Snoke in a jar. Yes, Snoke in a jar. That was a reveal. Yeah, every voice. So, I mean, Rise of Skywalker had a yeah. lot of, and well, and all the, all the fake out deaths. Yeah. And, oh, and the Leia Jedi Leia reveal. So they packed they packed Rise of Skywalker with a lot of reveals, and I don't know why they felt like they needed to do that. Is that? Is that because oh, they wanted to fill blanks? They because everybody, they... everybody's favorite, the Chewie's alive reveal. Yeah, C three. I mean, damn straight, Chewie's alive. I would have thrown yeah. stuff if they had actually killed Chewie off in that way. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> it, like three seconds later, like mm. oh, what suspense? <laughs> yeah, no, they, the, the mistake, in, and the same thing with C three PO when they when they you know killed him is that they brought him right back. Yeah, like that that great moment yeah. in the trailer, which you would never, ever, ever think to come, that emotional moment from C three PO. And yeah. they, and it just gets cut down seconds later. <laughs> it's like why? Yeah, you could have let us live with this with this sadness for a few minutes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I I think the I think the three PO one works works a little better than the chewy chewy one. Yeah, I, I, but like, I don't know. Well, this, the three PO one works better because at least they, when they brought him back, it was funny. You do get you, you yeah. do get the laugh out of it with him and him and Babu Frick. It's it was hilarious, and at least we can say. Oh that. yeah, I mean, and that pays off across a few different scenes. You know, I mean, you've got the. Um, when they land on, uh, uh, oh, what's the planet? Oh, Kijimi? God, I'm gonna kick myself. No, oh, oh, hey, um, the planet, the Death Star planet. Um, uh, anyway, you know they mentioned the Bob one from Frick the Endor and, system. Well, he's one of my, 
Yeah, he's one of my oldest friends. I mean, that, <laughs> that was that. That's brilliant. That, that's genuinely funny. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, so so even, I mean, that that even has payoff. Um, yeah, I mean, it pays off to bring him back right away because you do get the the jokes, right? But Chewy, nothing was gained by the fake out because Ray figures it out. And we're all like, yeah, we know. <laughs> She's like, Chewy. Like, yeah, he's alive. We know. We found out like right away. <laughs> and they tried so hard to make you think it was him, but like, you 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 only get it, you only get one shot where you see two transports, and it's a quick shot and it's away, and it's like, uh, yeah, I got it. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, yes. I mean, they just shouldn't. They shouldn't have faked it out at all. If they were just going to show him again, you know, reveal it right away. I mean, it's, you know, it's just show him loading him on the, make that shot longer of the two transports. Uh, anyway. I mean, the, the whole thing was, was sort of for Ray anyway, right? For the, that she can grab, grapple with the horror of, of this power that was in her that she didn't know about. Yeah, but it's it's a movie, so I want to have to grapple with that for a few minutes too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I want to have to grapple with that with Ray. I don't want to know things that Ray doesn't along the way. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 not fun for me to watch Ray struggle with something that I know she doesn't need to struggle with. Yeah, exactly. Like. Like it's okay, it's okay, Ray. Chill out. Like he's fine, but you know she's gonna go on like crying about it. Anyway, so, I mean, did Rise of Skywalker try so hard to cram in a shock reveal that it did something that many people despise, and then even the people who don't mind it like roll their eyes at the execution of it? And I'm talking specifically about Ray Palpatine, like and and. Just you know, we've had this quick chat about Rise of Skywalker and the many different reveals they've put in the movie, and like the way JJ and Terrio approached Rise of Skywalker, it says a lot about how they view Star Wars. If you ask me, like they remember, I mean JJ being an OT purist, uh, I think he thinks back to the effectiveness of I Am Your Father, and how that's resonated for forty years and how it permeated pop culture. And like everybody knows yeah. that moment, whether you're a Star Wars fan or not, everybody knows what that is. And I think they decided that, like a twist, a plot twist, like based around a reveal, had to be at the center of Rise of Skywalker. Like there was none in TFA, really. Um, there was none in Rise of Skywalker. Uh, sorry, um, The Last Jedi. When like a, a fundamental story shifting revealed, like that was not there. Um. It just to me it just says like they, and I remember when we talked about the, the movie before it came out, and like what what to expect and what can we see happening, and one of one of the things I was I kept coming back to was we haven't had the big reveal yet, and it's a thing that Star Wars yeah. has thrived on. It's gonna be in the movie, like it's gonna be shoot like one way or another it's gonna be in here, and your mileage may vary. Um, but yeah it. They definitely, J.J. and Terrio, saw this as important. And now whether that comes, it's also from Lucasfilm, saying reveals are important, I don't know. 
but yeah, they, they, no, I I think I think that the both of them um, understand Star Wars as something that existed between you know 1977 and 1983, and that's that's their only reference point. That's all they care about. Yeah, uh, I JJ think that's obvious. Be, he uh, had to be uh, apart from kicking and screaming to the prequels. Yeah, I mean, apart from Ian McDermott showing up to say a few lines at the opera in 2005, uh, the entirety of Star Wars exists between 1977 and 83. Um, for for them, anyway. Yeah. Um, but and I, the, the, it's you know, it sucks because we've got two movies, uh, and I think both of them have that attitude. Um, and I would say, and you know, this is my opinion that the three best uh, of the Disney era movies, and I would include the Mandalorian, are made by filmmakers who have a reverence for the prequels. Solo, Rogue One, and The Last Jedi, and The Mandalorian, and of course we'll throw in Clone Wars and Rebels and all that, but they all have a, a reverence. All those those filmmakers have a reverence for the prequels. Mm-hmm. Even Favreau will, you know, admit that, you know, he's come around on them or he's yeah, coming. He's, around he's an OT guy. But when you spend as much time with Filoni as he has. Exactly. You're going to pick it up whether you want to or not. <laughs> exactly. Dave's going to get you. Yeah. So, I mean, and, you know, in Force Awakens and The Rise of Skywalker, which are probably, I mean, I like Force Awakens. But I just I don't feel any love for the prequels, any, in that movie, uh, in, in either of those movies. I mean, I don't feel any love for the prequels in The Force Awakens either. Nope. And I think I think that's incredibly detrimental because Star Wars is not three movies. You know, Star Wars is a saga, and and also, um, apart from not um, having any reverence for the prequels, no reverence for any of the expanded material. That's another reveal, the Poe's backstory reveal. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely does not line up with anything we know about Poe as people who, you know, read most everything that's put out. And they just don't care because it served like, it served one unnecessary character in the movie. And like, <laughs> really didn't add anything. Like, it, it, it's a totally useless bit of information, and it 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 just like demolishes so much of our understanding of this character. You know, I it's, think it's, yeah. I mean, the more I think about it, it's the same lack of reverence that leads to um, the whole wedge and and oh. snap <laughs> issue in the movie, which is just like. Oh my god! Like it, like I have. No, there's no excuse for it. I have no sympathy for. Listen, we're trying to make a movie. We had a lot to do. Listen, you have an entire company <laughs> with people dedicated to make all of these things work. There's no excuse for you not to have consulted on these issues. Like, especially when. Other movies have done so much. Ron Howard had how long to make Solo? Yeah. And he still managed to tie in so many references to other things. Some would argue too many. But 
I mean, he put the effort in at the very least. So, yeah, I have no, I have no uh, sympathy for Terrio and Abrams at all. None. No, it should have been. I, I, they could. They should. They have should had... walk into the fort and not come out. <laughs> <laughs> they should have had somebody from the story group with them at all times, and or some buddies. Maybe multiple. or maybe maybe read the script. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I've said this before, but it feels like they. You know, and again, when you when you look at the the case of Ron Howard, it sort of scuttles whatever point they may have had. But it, we have we have, we got to get this big huge movie done in two years. Uh, get out of here with uh, with your story group. We are doing this, and yeah. th- we're writing a script. We're not doing rewrites. If you want this December nineteenth date hit, we are doing this this way, our way. And the powers that yeah. be said. Okay, which was, I think, maybe the the most fatal mistake ever. Yeah. Well, I mean, we and we've heard Ryan Johnson talk about how much time and how much he loved working with the story group and how he would sit down for like two weeks and go over everything with them. And then he'd go away and write and then he'd come back and, and discuss it all with them again. And then he'd go away and you know, like, and it, well, I think, honestly, I think... it, his reverence if, for the if prequels. If they're not going to get somebody, it, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say his reverence for the prequels was baked into that scene on Acto with Luke and Ray. Otherwise, I I don't oh, yeah. recall there really being that much prequel love in in the Last Jedi. But it's really in that scene where he's where Luke is sitting at that fountain and he's just talking about Sidious and and how the Jedi were, you know, how, were, were knocked flat. <laughs> you know everything is baked into that one scene and it's so subtle but it's, it shows an understanding of of the material yeah well and, and that's the i would agree that's probably the only direct reference but i mean the rest of the movie um especially when it comes to the way that luke talks about the jedi yeah and um you know that kind of stuff i think i think it shows an understanding of what lucas was doing in the prequels mm-hmm. You know how he talks about the failings of the Jedi Order, and and you know, yeah, um, even even when he's talking to Ray about training Ray with the Force, and he you know he says uh, to say that the Jedi own the light is vanity and all that. I think that's very clearly showing an understanding of where Lucas was going in the prequels and with Clone Wars, um, which again is just something I don't think. I think, to a large degree, Abrams understands how action in Star Wars works and the importance of it and where to put it. But I don't think, I don't think he has any grasp on the mystic side no. of Star Wars. No, I don't think he has any understanding of of the importance of the Force or how it works uh, or how it should be used uh, or the you know the basic lore of of the Force. I don't think he has any understanding of but i think he understands generally how um generally how a star wars movie is structured and should be structured he's just not it's he's just, just not that deep a guy <laughs> really i mean that's what it comes no, down to his, no, his stories I mean, don't really have very many layers to them absolutely i mean it's i mean they're so light on politics and so light on philosophy that it's it's 
I mean, people like to say that Star Wars is, you know, boils down to good versus evil, which is true. But that's not to say that there's not nuance layered on top of that. There's with Abrams, there's no layering. There's like no layering with Abrams. How much has been written about what Lucas brought to, to A New Hope? You know, How long have we been talking about it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, Yeah, I mean, we've just been reiterating all those things that have been written in thousands and thousands of pages of, of documented material where it's like um, all these influences were brought to bear in these movies. There's layers to it. It's just not some guy who created this escapist story with nothing to it. It's the, the movies say something. There's there's a lot going on. Yeah. But with Abrams, all you get is broth. Yeah, it's it's he's mostly spectacle, and I think that's maybe the. I don't I don't know if I want to call it one of the problems with the sequels as a whole, or just with Abrams, and the sequels is that he got trapped between making movies that feel good versus telling a story, and like his the two movies that he did are highly nostalgic and rooted in trying to please an audience. And I think the miscalculation is that he, I think he badly misunderestimated or underestimated how much pre- people like the prequels. And like he, he's the last, what, five, six years, eight years have seen a huge uptick in prequel love. And I think he completely yeah. whiffed on that. Well, I mean, it sort of is a theme of Star Wars. Um and again, this is not necessarily possible uh, under Disney, but historically, um, Star Wars plays the long game. That's what Lucas did. I mean, Empire wasn't well received when it was first released. The prequels, I, we all know that story, but it's sort of if you tell the story, like the honest story, without pandering. It will be appreciated down the line, <laughs> you know, like and again, when you're when you're trying to market a movie and you're trying to make billions of dollars uh, under Disney, again, not really an option. But I do think there's a balance there. You don't have to go as far as Lucas and say, you know, screw you to the critics and just do what you want. And then in 10 years, 10, 15 years, it'll be appreciated. You can't really afford that. But there's a balance between that and, um, well, I'm not going to put any thought into this, and we're just going to make a movie that looks cool and people are going to be nostalgic about, but not really care about in 10 years. Because I kind of feel like that's the way that the sequel trilogy is going to end up, where it's kind of going to be, especially as, as we get you know, eventually get more Star Wars and we start getting things like the Mandalorian that start to feel more Lucasian, then I think it's sort of going to be like, well, nobody really cares about the sequels because they feel so much different from the rest of Star Wars. They don't feel like the original trilogy. They don't feel like the prequels. They don't feel like the animation. They don't feel like the live action TV because that's all going to feel somewhat Lucasian because they're going to have that reverence. Whereas the sequels are going to feel so different that it's kind of, they're kind of going to be outliers. And, it's, but, it's and, and I could be so wrong, hard, right? But... At least in the case of Abrams, they tried so hard to copy certain beats and to mm-hmm. be 
be Lucasian, but with an up, you know, a fresh coat of paint. It's it. I hope not. I mean, I hope I. It seems it feels at this point in 2020, it feels inevitable that the prequels will or the sequels will be glossed over. Yeah. Um, I I think it's a shame, but at the same time, it is what it is. Yeah, there's not not much mm-hmm. to do about it at this point, which is why. And it also, in a way, it feels like Lucasfilm and Disney almost want it that way. I don't, I don't know what. Well, they're remaking them, though. You know. Oh right, I, forgot. I keep forgetting about that for some reason. <laughs> but it feels like, and again, this is a conversation for another day. But they opened the door to this new era, and they reopened the Skywalker saga, and that, right, that is inherently rife with with problems you're opening up a story that was already ended and it ended perfectly you it's a you're you're the job you're giving yourself to improve that story or add to that story is almost impossible to do and as it turns out i mean i i it's impossible to pull all fandom i feel like the prequel the, the sequels i keep saying prequels the sequels i feel like are tacked on they mm-hmm. don't really do anything fundamental to enhance the overall story i yeah. do like i do like the ending of of ray and kylo and saving people from death i kind of like how that's brought full circle but that's not mm-hmm. enough it's not enough to make the whole thing feel organic so no. I, and and just the way that rise of skywalker is being treated by lucasfilm and disney in 2020 there's no merchandise for this movie it's like no. they want this movie to die mm-hmm. and, i do <laughs> I mean, you killed it for yourself a long time ago, or they killed it for you a long time ago. But it seems like they are not. Maybe they were just waiting because I remember um, before the movie came out, or not long after, they were talking to somebody at Hasbro, and they said, "Well, the Rise of Skywalker stuff that's out now represents only about like thirty percent of the total <laughs> Rise of Skywalker stuff that we've got ready. Where is that stuff? It's like virtually none of it has come." And that's got to be because demand for the movie is in the gutter. Mm-hmm. I, I would still buy some stuff if they put it out. I mean, not to say that I haven't done very well pulling my end of the deal anyway, but buying the stuff that is out. Um, but no, I, I didn't buy any. I didn't buy any Rise of Skywalker merch. Even before I saw the movie, I didn't buy any. There was nothing that – I didn't think anything was that interesting. I, I bought the vintage collection figures. And I bought uh, a Black Series Ray. That's all. We have some like, le- some Lego, but the only it. the only like Black Series from Rise of Skywalker I would buy is Palpatine, and they haven't put that out. Like guys, <laughs> like you you were ridiculous about not spoiling that before the movie. I think it's okay now. <laughs> I want to say one is a Black Series Palpatine is coming, but I don't know. I I, I, I might be making that up, but really, I mean that doesn't change anything. Like they've taken this movie and all the, the merch that they may have had and just shelved it and said, there's, there's no demand now that's, and I think that's part and parcel of the, the plan at, at Disney and Lucasfilm to put, let this, and it's uh, maybe it's confirmation bias talking within me. But I feel like they want this gone. They want the shadow of the Skywalker saga to shrink so that they can do high Republic so that they can do other things that will not always be mentioned along with with uh, the sequel trilogy as as sort of like the comparison. Yeah, I, th- I think they just want this to go away. 
And in a way, I, I think, uh, you know, Celebration being canceled maybe is a blessing in that way because you, you got to think that they would have been forced to do some sort of panel about Rise of Skywalker in which everybody would, would have been watching with one eyebrow raised the whole time. Now they don't have to do that. No, I think they could have got away with not even bothering to do that because I think people are so excited. And I think, you know, they were excited. I I agree. They're They're trying to move on. And I think they had a lot of stuff ready to go you know, announcements and, and reveals and that kind of stuff to, to sort of get us beyond the sequel era to move us into this new, this new era, whatever that is. Uh, I think they would have loved to have been able to put off a big event and ignore rise of Skywalker. And I don't think anybody would have really cared. Yeah, maybe. Um, and you know, they would have had all this attention on the things to come. And it, but it, it would have spoken volumes to me about, Oh, look, they didn't even like their the the saga closing chapter of their movie. They didn't even talk about it or they talked yeah. about it in like a on a Monday 1 p.m. panel. <laughs> they yeah. talked about Rise yeah. of Skywalker. They you know, that's like burying something at 1 a.m. on a Sunday. Yeah. Like wow, that's, that's... And it, I I kind of I kind of get the feeling and again, this is just my own speculation, but I kind of get the feeling that um the working relationship between Abrams and Lucasfilm on Rise of Skywalker may not have been as peachy as we thought it was or as they made it out to be. I kind of feel like there was probably a lot more uh, tension there than we may have thought. What I hope, and this will speak to future Star Wars projects, because what's done is done. I hope that Lucasfilm was just like face palming and going, we don't like this. Like yeah. I'm, we're not fans. We'll put on. We're gonna. We have to put on the brave face. Mm-hmm. But we don't like what you're doing. And Abrams yeah. going. This is my story. You want the movie or you don't. You can put. Yeah. You, you can cancel it right now. But then you're gonna be stuck with the whole drama again. Well, and and they, they if, if that is the case, they they really did tie their hands because it's like okay, you can get away with firing uh, Josh Trank. And Lorda Miller and Colin Trevorrow <laughs> and, you know, getting rid of the Game of Thrones guys. But how are you going to fire J.J. Abrams at the end of that string of firings? <laughs> like, you're going to look like you're just being hard to get along with if that happens. J.J. held all the cards. Yep. Lucasfilm held, held none of them. And... It's it's sort of it's sort of a shame, and I don't know if that that's a critique of Kathleen Kennedy as president that she, it feels like she was powerless in this situation because Disney wanted that movie out, yeah, and Abrams was saying here's my movie, and and I think it I think it speaks volumes that, like I don't think Rise of Skywalker was more controversial controversial than the Last Jedi, I I think it's far less controversial. I mean, I uh, maybe maybe the people who like it and dislike it are are maybe about the same. Maybe it is like a fifty-fifty or something like that. But I I don't think it's more controversial. But it's like you said, it seems like they're burying that movie, but they're still talking about having Ryan Johnson back, <laughs> you know, and Abrams is off, you know, heading off to Warner Brothers, and even when Ryan Johnson doesn't really seem to need Lucasfilm anymore. Like he's sort of on his way. He's on his way. 
he, they're still talking about having him back. So and, well, I think you and I have talked about this before, and I, I don't know if this can counts as a tangent or not, or if we're still sort of on the path, but <laughs> I, I have mentioned before where I think Lucasfilm wants to do Ryan Johnson movies. They've already made that announcement. Yeah. There's been no news since pro or con. I don't know about Disney. I don't know if they want Ryan Johnson Star Wars movies. And I think there could be that war still going on. And the reason why there's been no change is, I mean, it's just, they're like two billy goats locking horns. Yeah. And there's been no movement because they're waiting for either Iger to move on again or for Kennedy to move on again and get new people to fight about this and either, and, and wait for somebody to blink. It feels, it to me, it feels like that's why Ryan Johnson's not been moved forward and it just it it just seems to me that there's that push and pull of we don't want the bad pr associated with ryan johnson whatever measure that is worth but lucas i'm going but we want the story because it's good yeah but you know what i don't i don't see that i don't see the logic there because i mean the last shit i made over a billion dollars mm-hmm. it was locked in like august <laughs> It was just sitting on a shelf for like four or five months. Like, I mean, so it stands to reason that relative to the other movies, I mean, all of the other movies have had crazy reshoots. You know, even the the Abrams ones that are, you know, uh, perceived as being less trouble. I mean, Abrams is notorious for doing crazy reshoots. Ryan Johnson's movie was wrapped early. Like it stands to reason that Ryan Johnson movies are insanely like like to a, a crazy degree cheaper to make than all the other movies. Like his movie was a lot cheaper to make probably than the other movies. Now I haven't actually looked into that, but it makes sense to me. You're saving money on reshoots and all this stuff. So, you know, so he can he makes a trouble-free movie that with so few leaks, like we hardly knew anything that was going on in the movie and it still made over a billion dollars to me. It's like, well, he's the obvious choice to get back. Yeah. And the only reason I have, this is, it's, it's silly to, to, to even wonder if this is the, the, the whole thing, but has Disney sort of looked at the, the negative press associated with, with RJ and said, this is detrimental to the brand. And that's why we're not doing this. And I, I don't know what calculus they've made or what data they have to point to that. It's the only thing I can think of that. They just think that the, the negativity around his name is enough to delay the project, cancel the project. God, I, I hope that's not the case, but it's all, it's all I can think of at this point. Maybe, but I, uh, I do think that most of the negative. I mean, I mean, broadly speaking, when you're talking about like a sort of a, a general audience, I think it's, I think the association is with the Last Jedi, not Ryan Johnson. Like, I don't think most people say Ryan Johnson. I mean, the people who watch stupid YouTube videos do, but I think for most people, it's like, oh, I didn't like that movie. You know, if they didn't like it, it's not, I don't like Ryan Johnson movies because he made that Star Wars movie. I don't like, you know, I think, 
I think you're talking about a very small subsect. And and I mean we we talk about all this this all the time is that these these characters that we roll our eyes at all the time, you know, they're a very small percentage of the people who see these movies. And I don't think they I think they have more influence on us than they do a general audience. <laughs> oh, I yeah, I think they get into our heads more than anything else. Yeah. So, I mean, I then, then again, you I, look at their channels and they get hundreds of thousands of views over and over and over. I, there could be, I, I don't know, I there it could be a, a, a come to a point where they just concede that these idiots have influence and even if it is a a, <clears throat> a minority that they make such a loud noise. I mean, remember the clickbait press and how every headline about Star Wars was negative? Yeah. There has to be a weight to that. Yes, but I also think that I I don't think that these guys have spared anything that's come out, <laughs> you know. I mean, Clone Wars came back and they were they were complaining about Ahsoka beating Maul. You know, like like you can't they you know Mandalorian they were complaining about this and that like nothing is is safe from these people so it's like you might as well just do what you're going to do these people are going to troll it either way like it's a problem it's a problem beyond Star Wars it's not about Star Wars that's the thing these people it's not a like it's not about Star Wars. It's just about being angry and and stirring the pot. Yes. So they're they're using Star Wars. So they're going to use whatever you make, no matter who makes it, no matter what the story is, no matter how much you bend to them, they're still going to hate it. <laughs> yeah. Just because that's how they make money. They make money by hating things. Yeah. So. The only, yeah, I mean, the only thing I can say is if, if Disney at all subscribes to perception is reality. <laughs> yeah. Then they might be you know, hesitant to to go forward. But anyway, um, it, just in case that was a tangent, let's bring it back to shocking reveals. <laughs> let's go. Let's go to the cozy place where uh, the shocking reveal kind of got its birthplace. Uh, the glory of I am your father, and I think that works because of all that came before in A New Hope, mm-hmm. and, and and it throws. You know, it, it threw Obi Wan's story to Luke into disarray. And he's got there's that great moment in New Hope in, at Obi Wan's hut where he tells him about the Clone Wars and his father, and now that whole beautiful story is upended. And you, and do, can I trust Obi Wan anymore? And and so when when we get to uh, Return of the Jedi, and Yoda confirms Vader's side of events for us, it's this jarring payoff that was years long being set up, even if it wasn't part of the, the original plan. And it works because we're so invested in those characters, primarily Luke, that you know the idea that the bad guy was telling the truth and the good guy, Obi-Wan, wasn't, was absolutely mm-hmm. jarring. And, you know, it, it's, yeah. it had to have been a hell of a thing to be in the theater in 1980 and then struggle with the idea of Luke being Vader's son you know, and and you know, maybe there was a smoking gun there of seeing Luke's face in Vader's helmet from that uh, vision on Dagobah. You know, that was probably the confirmation that viewers didn't want to accept at the at the time. And then mm-hmm. you, you struggle with that that idea for three years, and then the little green guy confirms it all. And again, yeah. it's, it's it's just that thread running through all three movies to that point, and it lands really well because it felt organic and planned, even if it wasn't. 
Um, and I, I think Star Wars, including Lucas, has been chasing that that high in terms of reveal ever since with with I'd say poor poor to middling results. Yeah, well, I, I think a big part of the reason it works so well is that I mean, especially when you go back to seventy-seven and eighty, when you go back there, and, and I mean, it's it's still true to people watching the movie for the first time now, but especially back then, when you we are trained by a new hope, you know, it's like, okay, happy ending, you know, struggle, happy ending, and. You know, it's sort of like, okay, I've seen this movie before. You know, it's a happy ending, you know, big adventure, blah, blah, blah. I've seen adventure movies before. Always ends on the, you know, big, on the big high at the end. And to contrast that with going into Empire, probably expecting a very similar thing. Because it, especially for people who recognized the DNA of those Saturday matinee serials, um, probably going in saying okay well it's just going to be a new adventure but it's going to be the same same it's going to be the same kind of movie and then to end <laughs> on such a down with you know very little resolution if any and you walk <laughs> out of the movie and you're like hang on a minute <laughs> where was the medal ceremony <laughs> you know i mean it's it's it not only is it just the reveal it's the entire structure of the movie is absolutely not what you're expecting after you see a new hope no the good the good guys get it all taken away yeah and i think all i think it all works in concert together to sort of just like that's the thing i don't think it's it's just the i am your father reveal i don't think it's just that in isolation i think it's that in the stew of this is really going downhill for these guys. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I think sort of just that, that subversion is it all works together to give you an experience that you weren't expecting when you walked into the movie. Absolutely. And that's, that's why it works so well. And it's, it's, I think it's easy to kind of pull the trick once. Yeah. And then after that, you, you the bar is set and it's it's really t- it's it's difficult to top that, and that moment is so instrumental to the success of the franchise. I think, I think mm-hmm. it's fair to say that I you know, I'm kind of I'll never know for sure. We'll never know, but I think that the people in charge of making these movies, I think they're aware of why the reveal in Empire works really well, but they're just and I think they believe it to be important. You know, I, I think they believe the reveal to be some sort of piece of Star Wars. So, uh, have they just not yeah, had good enough storytellers? Or did, But what? I don't think they do understand why it works so well. Because I think it works so well because of what I just what I just said. Is that it, it's, it's not just the reveal. It's the reveal plus, you know? And I think, I mean, when you think about Rise of Skywalker... You can't end that movie on the downer, you know? I mean, I would argue that it does, but, I mean, you know, I mean, the idea is that, you know, you end that movie on a victory note and you're off. But the reveal isn't, it, not just the reveal, is not the, uh, the entire thing. It's the reveal plus. 
it's the reveal and the utter hopelessness that you feel about the situation of our heroes. And you can't do that in Rise of Skywalker. You know, it has to be the reveal and, and I, I mean, there, you know, because, because you can't suspend your disbelief for long enough to not know that you, this movie is going to end on a high note. We just know. I mean, you go into Rise of Skywalker thinking, okay, they're going to clue this up and everybody's going to be happy. The the good guys are going to win because they have to because this is the last one. Now, if you had had a, a shocking reveal and, you know, I mean, you think of you think of the Last Jedi, that movie ends a lot in in a, lar- in a big way in the same way that Empire does, but it doesn't have the big reveal. No. Right. So it's it's like. They put it in the wrong place for it to work. <laughs> it's kind of kind of how I see it. Yeah, and I, and I, I think there's another whole other conversation to be had about did if if the reveal is is part an integral part of the recipe of Star Wars, it should have been in the Last Jedi. Yeah, and then, so then does it become Ryan's fault for ruining Star Wars that he didn't put the reveal in his movie, or it just when he was coming up to the movie, it didn't feel natural to have any type of reveal. So I'm not going to force it if it's not there kind of thing. Well, I mean, he, he talks about that in the director and the Jedi where he kind of subverts the reveal, you know, it's, it's the whole Ray is nobody. That's the point of that scene. It's because you're expecting the reveal and he doesn't give it to you. Right. Right, and that's why that works so well for me, at least. And of course, that ends up uh, sort of being undercut by the Rise of Skywalker. But I think in the Last Jedi, I think that works really well because we all expect, okay, here it is. It's the middle movie. Things aren't going great for the Rebels. We're in the same place we were in Empire. Here it comes. Here it comes. And oh, <laughs> that's not what I was expecting. I didn't get the answer. Yeah. And I think that works so well. But again, um, and, and then you know the question—I mean, the question ultimately that we that we're we're parsing here is: Do we need the did we need a big reveal, let alone twelve in Rise of Skywalker? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we did. I don't think I don't think it's so essential that we needed to have that big reveal. So. Um, the fact that it wasn't in The Last Jedi, I don't think automatically means that we had to get it in The Rise of Skywalker. No, no, from from that standpoint, no. It, but And then it comes down to the creator and what do they think of the reveal? Because it, it just, it felt to me like there's no way that this trilogy is going to play out without one. So if J.J. has one in mind, it'll come out here. If they're going to force it and, and come up with something ham-fisted, they're going to do it. But they want that reveal. It that it just it always struck me that this was going to be a certainty. Um, yeah, and I think that's I think that's just a JJ thing. I think possibly, yeah, hopefully. I, I I think he just I think that's one of his philosophies of filmmaking and of storytelling. One that I don't appreciate, um, but I think that is something he thinks is an essential component. Yes. Um, I think so that's I think fair. I think it was inevitable because he was at the wheel. Yes. 
and I hope it. I hope that's where it ends. Um, so okay, so we went through the movies. I and then I guess there's the animated shows too, but I can't really think of any in the Clone Wars like that would count as like a huge shocking reveal, and that's not the point of the series. Uh, Maul again. Maul coming back, yes. Yeah, spider legs. Seeing Maul, Maul in the crystal ball. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That. I mean, that set the the, the show down a different path. If you want to say, um, I mean, it's not really a reveal, but it's a reveal to the characters. But Dooku revealing that he's Tyrannus. Uh, that's sort of revealed to the characters, but not yeah. the audience. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, nothing earth shattering. No. But and and in Rebels, again, I can't think of any unless you know the the Thrawn introduction. Mm-hmm. And again, reintroducing Maul again, but all these things are kind of laid out in advance, right? We we yeah. know these things are coming via trailers and rumors and all that stuff. So I, in these long form stories, I guess you do you you don't need reveal to to achieve any type of effect because you've got the runway to to build out your story and let that let that runway do the thing that you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. You know you don't you don't have to take the shortcut of of a reveal. And maybe that tells yeah. you know, that that's with Filoni being in charge of those shows. Maybe it's a, it's a big telltale sign that he does not see reveals as being that important. Mm-hmm. Which maybe is a hopeful thing if you if if you don't believe that they're necessary, then having Filoni be sort of the the if we call him the George Lucas two point I guess you can take that as a good sign. Yeah, but in the Mandalorian. The the child's reveal, I think that was. It's it's not a shocking plot twist, but it's sort of like a whoa! I didn't yeah. expect to see that thing. Yeah, and the dark saber for those in the know, mm-hmm. I would say would be a was a pretty big reveal. And I mean, nobody. I don't think anybody was expecting that. No, God no. Um, and then the the gunslinger tease. Who is that? Yeah. You know. Yeah, yet to be revealed. <laughs> so, it, it, there, it's have you there. noticed this? Have you noticed the spurs yet, Kyle? Yes. <laughs> in your in your fifteen views of Empire since the last last yes. week, I now I hear the spurs. <laughs> Never picked up on them before. I, but I wanted what I wanted to do is hook up my old VCR and pop in Empire and listen to see if they were there way back way back then. Yeah, I'm not sure if those were a special edition or not because uh yeah, I'm not sure. Cuz I I feel like I remember Ben Burt talking about them. But he may have just been referencing the OT. But yeah, they they'd be interesting. But I do feel like they've been there from the beginning. Cuz I feel, you know, it's it's obviously uh, a big inspiration for the character in that yeah. movie. So it it wouldn't surprise me if Lucas had that added in right from the beginning. Yeah. So yeah. So because because those... he's all about conveying tone, you know. That's yeah, for sure. You know, and that's a that's sort of a quick reference point that you may not even you know even if you've seen the movie a hundred times, <laughs> like <clears throat> you. <laughs> what? It may be. It's so subtle that you may not consciously. Uh, pick up on it, but unconsciously you make the connection. Yeah, you know? that I think. It, yeah, it's it's all in the subtext. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, so Mandalorian has a few reveals. So, uh, and Filoni's heavily involved with that. So, I, but I think the thing with the reveals in the Mandalorian is that they are organic as hell. There's nothing oh, yeah. gimmicky or forced about any of them to this point. No, no, they not all at feel all. like they're. They, it all makes it feel like Star Wars, which again, you could lend weight to the argument that yeah, a well done reveal is definitely part of Star Wars. But you can expand that out and say a well placed tease or reveal is part of any good story, any clip, mm-hmm. any story at all. We just finished watching uh, Snowpiercer. And the the uh, yeah, the first season ends on a reveal and a bit of a cliffhanger. Going, well, you're gonna wait now, and you go, what? <laughs> <laughs> you, you you bring this into the mix now, and who knows when we get season two? Uh, but I digress. And then yeah, I mean it's Netflix, so who knows? They could just cancel it for no reason. <laughs> yeah. But then you in in print and in the comics, I I haven't read anything, so you'd be better position to say so but i can't think of any of those reveals there as well <sighs> like the big ones yes. and that you know again that kind of speaks to the books not being the time or place to fundamentally shake <laughs> shake the boots of the saga yeah i mean this uh, i mean i want to say the prophecies in master and apprentice maybe um, because we've been waiting so long for those that that was sort of a big deal when that book came out. Uh, but again, uh, a reveal, I don't know. I mean, it was a big deal, but I don't know if it was a, you know, a, a, you could call it a big reveal. Uh, no, and I, sure. the only one that comes to mind for me, and it's they're totally playing with us, and everybody knows that except for idiot clickbaiters, but... I think it was the end of Darth Vader, the current Darth Vader run, issue one or two, where the last page is Vader going into Padme's old apartment, and she's there. She should be long dead, but right. there's there's Padme pointing right. a gun at Vader, and she's dressed like she is an Attack of the Clones kind of. And mm. he's like, "Whoa, Padme!" <clears throat> and <laughs> clickbaiters went and said, "Oh, they broke, they retconned Star Wars. Padme's alive." Obviously not. But you're meant to. Yeah. Your your brain is meant to go there and go. Wait, wait, huh? What are they doing? It's. I don't know if they've revealed who it is at this point, but it's it's got to be a handmaiden or a changeling. Hmm. Yeah. Um. Mm, yeah, I can't think of any that are a a big deal. Yeah, me neither. I mean, some some people thought that. Uh, in souls. Vader comic in Lords of the Sith that uh, that was a big reveal that Palpatine was Anakin's father, but of course we know that that's not true. Mm-hmm. But well, for a hot the, minute the there, that was Vader's tried. Yeah, for a hot minute that was a big deal. Um. Yeah, I. It's, it's another another one of those things where you, if you have a long runway, you don't have to rely on that. Yeah, and, and I'm sure I'll think of something, you know, later today. <laughs> but uh, but even then, you know, I mean, these things are only a big deal when when they're not when they're in print. They're only a big deal for like what five <laughs> percent of Star Wars fans. Yeah, and and a week at most, and then it's it's gone again. Yeah, but 
I'll tell you one that excited me, and I don't think many other people cared, but uh, finding out that Dooku's name is his first name. <laughs> <laughs> Dooku is his first name, and Sereno is his last name. Dooku, Who Dooku. knew? I thought it was I, that, that was a big deal for me. <laughs> <laughs> I remember well the big reveal for me with Dooku was seeing that he seeing his pajamas. Well, I mean that's just everybody loves that. Dooku's pajamas that that was one of the greatest moments in the saga. Yeah. Um, oh, you know, I will say I think Operation Cinder was a pretty big deal. Um Considering all the things that have come out of that reveal, and that was that first showed up in uh, Shattered Empire, mm-hmm. all around the same time, uh, video game uh, Shattered Empire. Yep. What? So I think I think that was that's probably the biggest one, um, revealing that you know Palpatine had a plan. Um, sort yeah, of that he he had a it. contingency, yeah. So that he he had an inkling that he might not win at Endor, where previously, you know, we had all assumed that he was absolutely confident. Well, everything is proceeding as I have foreseen, right? Yeah. But yeah, but it's also been, I think, shoehorned in that that Palpatine had sensed sort of uh, Vader's heart turning back towards the light a little bit. And so, yeah, now he suddenly feels a little less sure of Endor. So the contingency starts. You're right. Yep. But that's that's a new, relatively new development where they had to massage all this stuff now so that the sequels feel like they're organically part of the story. Oh, I mean, it it just doesn't work, does it? I mean, with, you consider like Race Loan and Aftermath and Gallius Rex and and all this, and meanwhile Palpatine's just off somewhere like floating around passing through clone bodies and there's, mm-hmm. he has an entire cult and they're building an army like <laughs> oh my god like the number of concepts that rise of skywalker introduced that now have to be accounted for across all this other media and and sort of join together unnaturally <laughs> with these <laughs> previously established storylines it's just oh yeah, it's there's there's some headaches involved there for sure. Yeah, and it, yeah. part of me just wants them to let it go, just let it let it be. But they won't. They're gonna fill in those gaps. Yeah. Skywalker Saga will always be a bit of a cash cow. Yeah, They'll well, come, it's come, not just the Skywalker Saga. I feel like we're sort of heading back to that Legends, or at the time, the EU model of the tiered canon. I mean, you look at, I mean, especially now with Bad Batch. I mean, there goes the Ahsoka novel. You know. If the rumors of Ahsoka and Rex in Bad Batch are true, Ahsoka novels out the window. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's kind of it's it's we're at that point where it's re- we thought it was messy before. <laughs> it's about to get real messy. Well, now it's at the point where you just have to be prepared for something to be scuttled. Yeah. Or maybe the Ahsoka novel was is so, and this should not be a factor. It's either canon or not. But maybe they've drawn a line and said, prior to this point, we didn't have a plan. So before this, I mean, like, and the Ahsoka novel being one of them, it's on the chopping block. But anything yeah. after X point, we've accounted for. It's it. So it's it's solid. 
Which is hilarious it's for hilarious. all those people that spent like $70 on a hardcover of Soka novel. <laughs> I mean, a collectible is a collectible. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I've got mine. If it, if it does, you know, get completely trounced and written out, written out of the canon, either, either there becomes this little curio that you have as, as your collection now is this weird Ahsoka novel that makes no sense, has no meaning, which makes it precious or yeah. it completely renders it valueless. Yeah, I was the sucker who said, I'm not going to sell mine. I'm going to keep it because I'm a collector. And I and I mean, really, I do collect for myself. I don't collect to resell anything. But uh, <laughs> it was still like I could have made like 70 bucks <laughs> selling that novel. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't think I'd ever part with mine. I just I like Ahsoka too much. Anyway, what is your your favorite non-Empire reveal in, in across the saga? Uh, well, I'll go with one we didn't talk about, but I love the reveal of the Death Star in Attack of the Clones. Oh, yeah. I love that just little, It's. I mean, it's so quick, it's so subtle. It's just that if they would find out what we're building, we're doomed from Poggle. Like, it's, I don't know, it's just, it's one of those connecting points that Lucas built in that has paid off, uh, especially since Rogue One and all the material that's come out surrounding that. That little um, hint that the Separatists were building the Death Star has paid off so well in the uh, well in Rogue One and also the expanded material. Yeah, that is is the implication that Palpatine engineered it so that he'd get his enemies to build the weapon. Or is it sort yeah. of he, he, they were building it for their own purposes? Palpatine found out and found a way to take it. Well, I think I think it was just that. Uh, I think it was just either way, Palpatine would end up with it. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's sure. the idea. Is, I, I just wonder if it was always part of his plan. I'll, my enemies will build the thing for me that will destroy them, or if it's yeah. just like, ooh, I want that toy. A lot of that is explored in Catalyst, which is something that I have been meaning to reread because I haven't read it since 2016. Yeah. So I need to reread that book because that's, that remains one of my favorites, if not my favorite. It's uh, a good book. Canon novel. It's a real good one. Yeah. So I've, I've got to re-explore that one, but uh, I think, I think a lot of that is, is sort of fleshed out in there, but I mean, that's, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, we get so many details in that and rogue one. And then there's, you know, we had we had comics and we had, um, um, you know, the stuff in Rebels even. And if you even want to go back to Crystal Crisis, the unfinished Clone Wars, uh, which, you know, I I still can't believe we haven't gotten that story in some fashion. Yeah. I, I feel like that's the one we would have gotten if uh, if they hadn't been making this Bad Batch show. Quite possibly, yeah. I think that's the only reason we got Bad Batch was because they were going to continue that story. But I think, I think otherwise we would have gotten Crystal Crisis because it tied into already existing uh, stories. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's such a great little, just a little flash, a little moment. Blink and you miss it, but it's it's done so much for Star Wars. For sure, absolutely. Um. I really love the Enfys Nest reveal. 
Yeah. Like, you just don't expect that. Like, you don't expect that type of character to be played by this vibrant, healthy-looking young woman. You know, you, you just don't. Like, you, yeah. hear, you hear a voice through that uh, effect throughout the movie, and it's threatening, and it's she's dangerous. Or, I, I mean, to mm-hmm. that point, I, I think the assumption is that probably it's a guy. I don't know if she if if yeah if it's coded that way through the movie, but I think, it's purposely obscured. Yeah, it's never specified. Like it's always referred to as Enfys Nest. It's a very non-gender specific name. Yeah, I mean we don't get any of that with you know Phasma or you know any other female character with a mask. I mean it's all, it's usually very clear. I mean the only other example is probably Leia. <laughs> in uh, Return of the Jedi as Boosh. Yeah, I mean, even Attack of the Clones with with Zam Wassell, it's Obi-Wan and Anakin assuming it's a guy until Anakin yeah. sees that it's a girl. Yeah. You know, uh, but... But we, just, as an, we as an audience know it's a woman right from the start. Yes. Um, and, yeah, that's, and, you know, you hear that voice and th- she's dangerous and threatening and then at the end of the movie when Han and Beckett and Kira, they're all sort of like up against the wall and the helmet comes off and it's, it's this young woman and it's, and you, you learn that she's sort of fighting for something bigger and it's the rebellion and it's the thing that we love as, as, you know, as viewers. And it just, it just brings, it reframes so much of the movie and brings it all right around. And I thought it worked really, really, really well. Yeah. Well, I think, I think emphasis is an example of how, Lucasfilm can be so disconnected from fandom um, because I mean, as a character that is so popular, um, but is hardly in the movie, <laughs> and we've got no hint of any plans for continuing stories. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we hardly know anything about her. We've got she was in the movie for what twenty minutes. If oh, that, I'd say, I'd say, oh, geez, I'd say five. Well, I mean, you've got the train heist, and you've got the, um, uh, oh, God, what, why can't I remember planet names today? Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, um, anyway, the at the end, she's <laughs> at the end. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Savarine. I mean, is it Severine? Severine, yes, that's it. But she's hardly in the movie at all, but she's become so popular. And you talk to so many people, like, you know, I had that conversation, I think it was last week. Like, I was talking to someone on Twitter about Infus Nest. Now, and I will present this here because I think this is perfect. But someone brought up how they wanted more Infus Nest stories or an Infus Nest novel. And I was telling them how I was dreaming of a comic series, an Infus comic series, written by Vita Ayala and drawn by Mike Del Mundo. Oh, oh! I don't, now, know, I don't the know author, but Mike Del Mundo would be awesome. Vita Ayala, she's she's uh, she's a writer. She's been writing a lot of stuff. She is writing one of the new uh, X Men books. Um, I think I think there's only a couple issues out because it kind of got caught right in the middle of the shutdown. But uh, uh, she's a black author, a black comic book writer, and I think she 
I should say they because I'm not sure <laughs> she identifies, but uh, a brilliant writer, and I think she would have an excellent take on Emphis. And Mike Del Mundo, uh, I don't know if you read the Electra series that he drew from a couple years ago. Uh, well, I say a couple. It's probably five or six yeah, years ago 2014. now. Yeah, 2014. Yeah, I, I, maybe I didn't even realize it was him, but I do have yeah, those issues. I mean, I mean that. Oh my God, it would be so perfect if look look up Mike Del Mundo Electra, and those pages. It just screams. It'd be so perfect for an Emphis comic. But to me, that team, <laughs> like I would, I would sell my soul <laughs> for that book. There's a lot to tell with Emphis Nest, and we're just yep. si- we're just sitting here waiting for it. They created the character. She's right there. <laughs> Give it to yep. us. And, and it's it's like it's been two years and like nothing. <laughs> mm. It makes you wonder if, if it can't be like this whole idea of burying the Skywalker saga and just moving on from it. But they keep giving, keep setting Disney plus shows right in the middle of it. So it can't be, it can't be that. Yeah. Just lean in in the comic book stuff that would sell like absolute madness. Yes. Oh, and I just checked and uh, Vida uses they, them. So I apologize for uh, using the wrong pronouns. (laughs) Just wanted, just wanted to put that in there. Um, you know what? The other reveal I think was really effective is I, I keep going back to it. It's the child. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's about the species and the cuteness and it's a baby and it kind of upends everything that we would think about that species. Yeah. You know, but it opens up this whole world of, of possibilities within the story that, you know, these creatures that are unnaturally strong in the force. This one's a baby. What the hell? It's 50 years old. I don't understand. But what I think what's so cool about this is that it didn't need two movies before it to make it work. Like it was a half hour premiere episode, and at the end of it, you're slack jawed. Yeah, and it's just it's it's a great case of taping taking a, a a trope we know in Star Wars, giving it a twist, but you know, sort of leaning on your built in knowledge of the saga. But then, and, and giving you this reveal of the child at the end, and, and you just go wow yeah and it's one of those like it's sort of one of those sacred things where virtually nobody was upset about it it was it was amazing everybody was like okay let's go with it (laughs) whereas it's such a big deal that it's one of those things that you would expect would automatically be controversial but wasn't at all yeah, and one of the things I never got is, you know, of course, it was such a huge hit. The child, be- oh, the child sort of has, has stolen the, the thunder here, and everybody wants merchandise of the child, mm-hmm. and people were mad that the stuff it was not ready for Christmas. And my take is just like, you can't have it both ways. Yeah, because if that merch had been ready for Christmas, we the reveal would have been blown months in advance. And so I actually respect that Disney and Lucasfilm like left that money on the table at that time of year for the sake of the story. And so that yeah. we could have that moment where it's not it's not tainted by a spoiler. Nobody knew about this. We knew that mm-hmm. th- if you followed spoiler reports, there was talk of like a child being involved in the show. 
and I, you know, those of us who who followed that assumed it would be a human child. Well, there were talks of a child, a baby, and there were also talks of a Yoda creature, but I don't think anybody connected them. Mm-mm. Not that I saw. I'm sure somebody <laughs> out there I, did, but it never yeah, bubbled remember, to the surface. No, I remember there were reports of uh, some people seeing Yoda creatures and that Yoda, the species, was going to be uh, – involved somehow and that there were multiple ones and blah 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 blah. but um no i don't think anybody connected the the child and the yoda creatures i think everybody thought it was they were two separate things yeah um i think i think uh a lot of people expected this baby to tie into the sequel trilogy somehow i know there was a lot of that speculation going on yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and it could, it still might, right? Like, whatever reason they're after the child could tie into how Palpatine was kept alive. Who knows? They could make it, they could go there. Although I don't know if they want to attach, like, the shine of of the Mandalorian, which is almost universally loved and critically applauded, and, and hitch that to Rise of Skywalker, which, is, which has been very divisive. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they're at least second-guessing it. But uh, but yeah, I mean, what is the deal with Doctor Pershing? What <laughs> what is the connection? Uh huh. Uh huh. I, mean, I don't. I... That's that's another one of those things where you know seeds planted, and uh, is it gonna are they gonna pay it off? Because you know they've so, they have a track record of of planting these seeds and not and not harvesting. You know, they don't reap what they sow all the time. So, mm-hmm. and maybe, maybe that's part of the game. Like, not everything's going to pay off, guys. It's it's to keep you honest, keep you guessing. Yeah, yeah, but that's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Whether know, that's man. what that and uh, that may very well be what they're doing. That may be their philosophy, but I I don't I don't like it. <laughs> I hear you. Uh, okay, so with that said, like lastly here before we wrap up, and this has been a king size edition. We got, we set a record here with this episode. And oh it has, boy, <laughs> it hasn't felt that it hasn't felt long. I mean, if this we're just ripping along here, we we said let's do an easy one this morning. <laughs> well, and, and I think that's the beauty of this. This has been super easy. We're just going. It's true. It's true. It's true. We and I, we could probably keep going, but this will be the last point to, of the episode for today. What can we expect from future Star Wars stories? And let's keep it to the screen. Because I, I think it's pretty clear, like from what we've seen largely on the screen, like from Lucas to Kasdan, uh, Ron Howard, uh, Abrams, Terrio, they all seem to believe that our shocking reveal has some value to the story. E- each of their movies have had some sort of reveal. Um, do you, th- I'll ask the question again, like, do you think Lucasfilm has internalized the importance of the reveal as a device to use in like saga movies going forward or will they be disciplined enough to let the story be what it wants to be or what it needs to be and not put that onus on creators i think in the next movie there will be a huge reveal of a super weapon (laughs) (laughs) tying it all together uh, I I no but seriously I I hope that 
I mean, I like reveals. I enjoy it. I enjoy that that hit. I mean, that big gas moment in the theater. I mean, I enjoy it as much as anybody. But I don't think... Do I think it's necessary? No. Do I think it's fun? Yeah. Um, but I hope they don't do it for surprise's sake. Yeah. And I hope... Uh, I hope it's not the focus. I hope they try to tell a story. This is the thing. I mean, we're we're done with the Skywalker saga. And I mean, I didn't bring this up before, but I'm at the position now that I don't think that the sequel should have been 789. I think it would have been fine to do those movies and tell, tell a version of that story uh, with the original trio and all that. Uh, set in the time that it was set and whatever, but I think it would have been much more beneficial to just have it stand on its own. This is a separate sh- trilogy. I think it, the saga should end at six, seven, eight, nine should have been one, two, and three. But that's that's my opinion. Well, but, you just uh, you just gave a, a little preview as to our next episode of Luminous being ne- next month. That's that's <laughs> what I think was I was going to push for that one next. And oh, good enough. I think uh, I, I think. We're going to unearth that topic next. Great. But uh, yeah, so I hope I hope now that we're out of the saga, we can sort of leave the gimmicks behind. Um, and don't get me wrong. I love I love those gimmicks in the in the, the regular saga, but I think they were a little tired in the sequel trilogy. And I hope now that we can sort of start in the, in the way that that sort of Rogue One and, and Solo did sort of. Um, either modify or um, evolve those gimmicks into something new, uh, like we were talking about with the uh, like with the location they, uh, names coming up on screen in Rogue One, or even the opening of Solo being being different with the uh, sort of a different version of the crawl, like. These these are all things that still feel make it feel like Star Wars, but they can be changed. Even the the uh, sort of the plot gimmicks, like the reveals and and that kind of stuff, those tropes. Even let's give the hero's journey a rest. I mean, there are other storytelling philosophies yes. out there, so let's start exploring some of those. You know, absolutely. And please, uh, please, by all means. <laughs> yeah, so so hopefully now that we're out of the saga, which again maybe we should have been five years ago, but we can start to leave some of those gimmicks and those tropes behind and sort of take on new ones and incorporate those into what Star Wars is, because I think Star Wars Star Wars is uh, really moldable and shapeable, and I think you can. I think uh, the books and the animated stuff, and especially Mandalorian, have proven that you can do a lot of different things with Star Wars, and it'll work in a lot of different genres and uh, and media. So let's try to incorporate some of that into Star Wars, and try to incorporate Star Wars into some of that, and and let's stop defining Star Wars as this one thing or this one set of things. Star Wars can be many things. So that's what I, where I hope we are going forward. I hope so. It seems like the most natural thing to do. Uh, and mm-hmm. like you, like I, 
I can't imagine that anybody doesn't like a good reveal. And, but I mean a, a good one, one that kind of you don't see coming. It means something to the story. It's not done because you're just you're chasing your tail and trying to uh, one up yourself. Not meaningless things to just sort of make everything feel connected in in a shoehorned way. And not everybody needs to know everybody. But by all means, like if you've got one big rocker of of a reveal, let's have it. But like you said, there's other storytelling devices. There's other templates sort of to follow. I don't like mm-hmm. using the word template because, like you said, and I love that you mentioned the hero's journey. When Star Wars being as analyzed and debated and studied as it is, mm-hmm. people sort of broke down the trajectory of this sequel trilogy after after TFA. Mm-hmm. And when that thing kind of is you know, kind of carried through into the last Jedi, but then didn't go that way in, in rise of Skywalker, people went nuts that it didn't yeah. follow the, uh, you know, th- this is the way stories are told. And you, these are the influences you pulled from, which means if I, you know, if I map that out and carry that over to star Wars, th- it means this, that to me, just it, it's paint by number star Wars. Mm-hmm. I, and I don't want that. And I get, I totally get when you're basing Star Wars in, in myth and legend that there should be some parallels and, you know, payoffs in ways that make it feel true to that legend or myth that you're sort of drawing from. At the same time, mm-hmm. it is paint by numbers. And yeah. that to me is the definition of boring. Like if you're looking mm-hmm. at some sort of Greek myth or Arthurian legend or whatever, and you know how that ends and you can see it in Star Wars and predict how that ends with you know with, with good reason and then you don't get that ending and you freak out over it mm-hmm. that, i'm sorry <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a ton of sympathy yeah so yeah by all means go for the t- reveal make it count make it organic and um you know let the creatives tell the story they want to tell I, they shouldn't be shackled with that no let let you know a reveal like a sh- a shocker or a twist reveal should be a function of the story the story shouldn't be built to facilitate the reveal yeah and, and publicly they'll never say anything other than no. creators can tell whatever story they like and yeah. if, they'll they'll never say anything other than that and it, yeah. it, they'll say like if a twist is part of the the writer's story then yeah great but i i in the end like i would not be shocked if somewhere in a room in a vault at Lucasfilm is a cookbook, so to speak, of what makes Star Wars Star Wars, and if somewhere in that book the reveal is in that cookbook, I would not be shocked. If they have boiled it down and there's a formula that when they bring a new creator and they're like, okay, so you're familiar with Star Wars, yeah, uh-huh. Um, well, you're obviously you're familiar with how Lucas did this, uh-huh, yeah, and the spirit of it all. The reveal is a big part of that, right? Uh, okay. You want me to put a reveal in? I'll put a reveal in. And I, I hope yeah. it's I hope it's not that. But I can totally see if that was part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can. I, I agree. I hope it's not. But I, I don't know if it's anything as f- formal as an actual book. But I definitely <laughs> think that there's... <laughs> I definitely think that there's probably a, a philosophy that that Lucasfilm adheres to. Um, and I, yeah, I, I agree. And I think, 
I think there are very few people that had the leeway to break from that philosophy, like Dave Filoni. Um, and I, I think largely Ryan Johnson did. I think he broke from that philosophy to a large degree. Like you were saying, you know, he didn't he didn't exactly uh, go where that uh, quote unquote formula uh, would lead you to believe that it was going. And like you said, uh, it upset people because it didn't follow the formula. And I think I think some people can pull it off in a way that's popular, and some people can't. Like Filoni tends to be popular in the way that he that he deviates. But there's also the fact that you know Filoni sort of was given permission by Lucas to deviate. So there's sort of that uh, that aspect to why he's allowed by fans to deviate if you want to put it that way. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely tricky because a lot of times when you're writing these stories, I'm sure that it's a lot of it's unconscious, you know, when you're, when you're in sort of star Wars mode, um, it's sort of just a, a thing that happens where you'll, you'll fall into these, these ruts, um, but I think I think the better creators can can pull themselves out of them and 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 deviate off the path. Absolutely, I I do agree with that. Uh, so everybody out there, what do you guys think of the reveal in Star Wars? What's your favorite? How do you want Lucasfilm to handle this in the future? Is it a mandatory requirement or only as necessary? Let us know what you think, um, Nathan. Where can people find you on Twitter? At NAF Roberts on Twitter. And you can find me at Tumbling Saber. Tag us both. Let us know what you think when you eventually hear this. Uh, you can also, if you're listening to this via our Patreon channel, you can comment in the thread. And, of course, as you know, we will get your comments played on the show. Um, and that's going to do it, everybody. Uh, Nathan, this was, again, two-plus hours that felt <laughs> that do not feel like two-plus hours. This no, was brilliant. flew man. by. Flew Absolutely by. flew by. I love doing this episode. I love recording. I love talking about Star Wars. This might come as a shock reveal, but... Oh, man. I know. I, I just realized, like, you know, I really like talking about this Star Wars stuff. It's, I was talking it's, about pretty, my, it's pretty good. My mom's always asking me. She's like, are you, you, doing, are you recording the podcast tonight? I'm like, no, I don't record on Thursdays generally. But, yeah, I'll be recording again this week. She was, and she's always like, what do you talk about every week? <laughs> like, she asked me that probably five or six times a year. What do you find always finding stuff to talk about? I'm like, well, there's 11 movies and hundreds of episodes of TV and countless books and comics and news every damn week, video games, the music. Like, there's so much to talk about. The, the toys. I want to talk about all of this stuff. And we keep finding things. That, actually, we don't even have to really look for it that, that often. It just keeps coming to us. Oh, it, it just endless minutia. And, oh, God. <laughs> I mean, for this episode, we look for things to talk about because we want to go a little deeper. But by and large... There's just there, it's it's it never ends, yeah. And we're getting closer to the time where celebration is supposed to be happening, or would have been happening. So there's going to be obviously a boatload of stuff coming out soon. I love it, man. This has been great. Yep. All right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed this king size episode. Let us know what you think. Uh, we'll be back again next month with more episodes of Luminous Beings. And until then, everybody, may the force be with you. I killed Mufasa. <laughs>